If you didn't catch that number, it's 1-800-ME-ME-ME. Imagine. Imagine attending a church where it's all about you. Where everyone is passionately and recklessly caught up with themselves. You know anybody like that? I I like that I am why I sing. Now think about that. You know anybody like that? I use those two videos to share with you because today we're going to look at Jesus Christ. Really, we're finishing the book of Luke. It's all about Christ. And the end is all about Him not thinking of Himself, but Him thinking about you. And if we're not careful, this world makes it all about you. All about me. And I pick up that philosophy, and it's all about me. And if you're not careful, you pick it up also. And so God invites us into an experience like this because He wants to speak to us, and He wants to show us the truth. If you listen to Matt's prayer, he prayed that that would happen here. And we'd hear the truth, and we'd... It'd be like a mirror that we're looking at. And we'd find out, who is it all about? So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like you to turn to the book of Luke. That's the last on the right side of your Bible, New Testament. Luke, the 22nd chapter. If you have the New Testament, it's page 73. We're going to look there and we're going to see what Luke has to say. But before we do that, let me call attention to something that's If you've got your worship handout on the page where the notes are, the very bottom, first step, tomorrow night I'm doing a first step. You can read that. This will help you understand more about Connection. If you're ever interested in being a member of Connection, you have to attend this. But because you attend it tomorrow night, doesn't mean you have to become a member. But you do have to go through this if you're ever going to be a member. But if you wonder about some things about Connection, they're going to be explained tomorrow night. The address is there. I just need to know because I make up a workbook. We'll spend two and a half hours. Basically, what's that? 150 minutes together. And that workbook, I have like 50 blanks in there. And as we go through, I'll give you those answers. But you'll have it to take with you. And you'll understand connection. You'll understand connection's relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. You'll understand connection's Relationship with the culture around us. You'll understand why we are like we are. And then you'll understand, you'll come to understand connections, relationship with one another. We who are here. So if you ever wondered about that, tomorrow night's an opportunity. I do that about every three, four months, and that gives you an opportunity. But please let me know if you haven't already done so. I've got a few names already, but let me know so I'll be sure to have enough books. Also, if you haven't noticed in here, it says our second worship experience will begin February 9th. And so you want to make note of that. When we begin that second worship experience at 4.30 in the afternoon, the morning worship experience will move from 10.30 to 10 o'clock. 10.30 to 10 o'clock. So we'll start at 10 o'clock. And uh, you'll want to make note of that. Okay. Uh, Let me say that I, I appreciate your willingness to work in the parking when we go to the second worship, it won't be such a difficult situation. Somebody told me last week after worship that they came in, they got stuck by a train, a 10-minute train. And so they said they got here a quarter till 10, and there were four cars driving around. There was not a parking space in our parking lot. And that person said, I went and pulled as close to the grass as I could, thought about pulling the grass, and then thought, oh no, better not do that said, I don't know what the other three cars did. Please, if you ever come and there's not a space, just park on this end. That way, all these cars can get out and you can just pull out. Or park right along as close as you can to the grass on that side. When we go to a second worship, we ought to free this up. Okay? We usually park 15 cars in the back, but we can't do that because of the sod. We just wouldn't get out of there. We'll have to do something. You see, connection's not going to stop. You know that. You know that. You who have traveled this journey with us. 
Connection will not stop as long as connections people live and love like Jesus. Okay? And so we have to make that adapt, that, that adjustment, and, and maybe someday we'll address the parking and we'll take care of that. Okay? And, uh, but please, just be patient. And if you're a regular connection person, don't make it all about you. Make it all about somebody else, even when it comes to parking. But boy, don't come and then leave. And that's a known factor that happens in churches that have full parking lots. We get satisfied. Pretty good crowd. You know, any worship center, if it's got 80% capacity, it's full. You look around. We're there, aren't we? That's why we've got to do a second worship, see? And uh, believe me, I don't want a second worship. It's going to take my afternoon. Okay? No, I'm just kidding you. I'm glad. But I'm telling you selfishly, I'd rather have the afternoon off. But you see, it's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's about what God wants. And in our Scriptures today, we're going to see that. Okay? I appreciate you being here today. Before we go on, how about bowing with me for prayer? Would you just bow your heads? Father, we do thank You. We thank You, as Matt said, that we can worship. We thank You for this experience. But Father, I come to You asking right now that You help us to see truth, God. You know, we're going to have many thoughts. Satan's going to just have his demons bombard our minds with many thoughts. Help us to see truth, Father. Help us to see the truth about You, our Father God. Help us to see the truth about Jesus, Your Son. And God, help us to see the truth about ourselves. That's the hard thing, Father. To really see the truth about myself. Help us to see that today as we look to Your Word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now we are in the book of Luke. We've been in it since Easter, not this past Easter, Easter a year ago. And we'll probably be in it for the rest of February and into March, okay? But we've been going through Luke. Why Luke? I mean, we could have gone through Matthew or Mark or John. Three other Gospels. They're all The Gospels are just biographies of Jesus. They tell His story. The Gospels, the biographies of Jesus are better attested in human history than any other writing. Human writing of antiquity. That means writing that came before the printing press, writing that came before we were able to preserve things. There's not another human writing in antiquity that has much Evidence concerning its originality as the Gospels, as the biographies of Jesus. Now see, you've got to trust me on that, but you can investigate that. You can investigate that. And educated people know that's true in the sense that they will, they will ignore it because to believe it means then you've got to deal with it. And when you deal with it, it always confronts you. It confronts you about you. Because God loves you and He's concerned about you. And today we will be confronted through an experience that Jesus will go through. And Luke tells us in the very first chapter, verse 2, 3, 4, somewhere there, he says, I'm writing these things down. I'm carefully investigating them. He's writing to a guy named Theopolis. I'm carefully investigating them so that you will know what you have heard is true. You see, Luke didn't walk with Jesus. Luke didn't talk with Jesus. Theophilus lived in a different place. He never walked with Jesus. He never talked with Jesus. And they, like you and I, heard about Jesus, turned their lives over to Jesus, followed Jesus... And it's believed Theophilus, because of the Greek word to describe him, was a man of probably a wealth and an official in government. And he is probably funding Luke's investigation. And Luke is a man of science. He's a man of knowledge. Luke is a doctor, a medical doctor. So here's an intelligent, a man who looks at the facts, 
who is investigating and he's writing this so Theophilus can know what he's heard about Jesus is true. So that means Luke is going to these sites. Luke is talking to these people. Luke is asking the disciples, tell me about these experiences with Jesus. Luke is going to the cities where people were healed. Luke is going to the homes of people. Luke is talking to shepherds. Luke is talking to people, gathering this information. Somebody says, how can I believe that? The same way you can believe anything that comes out of antiquity. And that is the evidence of manuscripts that give attestation of the truth of what we have. We teach things in our school, our public school system, in college, with less evidence than what we have concerning the four biographies of Jesus. And yet people say, well, I don't know if I can believe them. So last week during that sermon, I explained to you that Jesus is going to die in just a few hours. His life on earth will be over. He will lay in the grave. Three days, He'll raise back to life. He'll walk with His followers for about 40 days. And then He'll go back to be with the Father. His followers are experiencing this. Jesus knows He's going to die. His followers are feeling, are experiencing the humanness of that experience. And they're going to begin asking questions. What's going on? We were following Him. We believed you the Messiah. We thought He was going to kick the Romans out of Israel. And the Jews were going to prevail. And Jesus is dying. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to die. What's going to happen to us if we look at Luke's second book, for he wrote two books in the New Testament. Let me say this. Some people say Paul wrote most of the New Testament. New Testament. Luke's two books outweigh Paul's two books if you measure them by words that are there. And in Luke's second book, he talks about the disciples and their maturity that came out of what they saw Jesus do. And the Holy Spirit working in their life. And the boldness. But at this point, there's no boldness. At this point, fear is sweeping over them. Because they are witnessing the struggle Jesus is having as a human being. Pay attention to this message. Now if you remember last week, I told you, before we got to this point, Jesus had reminded them that God took care of them when times weren't so difficult. Don't have time to cover that. Gave you the Scripture, all that. It's in chapter 10 of Luke. And now He tells them, times are going to get difficult. And the implication is they have to evaluate that they don't run from God, but they trust God during difficult times. But times are going to get difficult, and they're going to see that with Jesus being arrested, Jesus being beaten, Jesus being executed. If you have your worship handout, I want you to look at the first blank. If you would, fill in that first blank. It's a page with a date. If they pay attention, they will see that Jesus will trust His Father during His difficult time. And if you and I will pay attention, we will see this also. And why do we have this illustration? Because you go through difficulty. I go through difficulty. I'm going to talk about that as we move through this to try to get you to, to sort of feel what He's feeling. If these disciples will pay attention, they will see that what Jesus does in His difficulty, the man that could make the blind see, the man who could make the lame walk, the man who could raise the dead, when His difficulty comes, because we want to believe Jesus didn't have difficulty. If they can see in the midst of His difficulty, He trusted God, that example will be paramount for them in the days, months, and years to come. Now let me stop and say this, and that is true for your family. Dad, when it gets difficult, if you bail out from God, you're going to raise sons that are going to bail out from God. Moms, when it gets difficult, and you bail out from God and what He wants, you're going to raise daughters that are going to bail out from God. And we're living in a society that does not see Christians standing up during their difficulties and saying, I am going to serve God. 
And so we've got a society that when it comes, they say, well, let's see, God, me. I'm going to go with me. These disciples are going to learn from Jesus' example. I hope, as I prayed already, that we will see the truth about Jesus Christ and God and ourselves. So let's look. Luke 22, begin at verse 38. That's where we stopped. Look, Lord, they replied. We have two swords. Jesus told them it's going to get difficult. So he says, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. Okay? Now we've got to be careful. I told you last week, don't have time to go over it. When we see swords are mentioned, we think, uh-oh, it's going to be a fight with weapons. And all swords indicate in this context, last week and here, is that it's going to be a difficult time. It's going to be a difficult time. Where on the human viewpoint, you want to strike back, you want to get even, you want to take charge, you want to do damage. And Jesus says, okay, you got two swords. That's enough. Let's, don't, let's move on. And let us move on. Look at 39. Then accompanied by His disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual. That word usual is important. Usual means Jesus is going to take His disciples to a place that He regularly went to. Okay? And in this case, it says, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. You see, Jesus is going through difficulty and He goes to the place that He usually goes to when He would get with God. Mount of Olives is east of the city Jerusalem. It's a half mile from Jerusalem. We're told that. It's, that's about six city blocks from Jerusalem, the city itself. It's called the Mount of Olives because of the olive groves back then that grew on the mountain. And Jesus, it was at this place that Bible tells us that Jesus overlooked Jerusalem one day and He just wept because He saw all the people. As much instructions that He would give, He would share words of how to find a peaceful relationship with God. They weren't finding it. And He cried over them from the Mount of Olives. This is a special place for Jesus. This is the place after He raised from the dead, He goes back to, after He walks with His disciples for a time, He goes back to, and they see Him ascend into heaven from the Mount of Olives. This was a place where Jesus met God and Jesus met the world. This is a place where Jesus thought about God's will and Jesus thought about how that applies to the world around Him. And Luke tells us the disciples explained to Him Jesus went there on a regular basis. You see, that's what this is to be. This is to be a place where you come to this is a place where you meet God. This is a place where God speaks to you about relating to the culture and the world around you. Relating to your family. Because difficulties come through relationships. Be careful. Often when difficulties come, a marriage breaks up, the people fall away from God. A child rebels, the parents fall away from God. You get in trouble. You make wrong choices. You fall away from God. The last thing you think you can do is go to church and hear anything about God because your life's all messed up. You can know, you can know you're in trouble when you say, boy, I don't know if I want to go anymore. Because as usual, God will always meet you in a healthy church experience and He will speak to you. Now, at the foot of the Mount of Olives was a garden called Gethsemane. I want to say a little bit about this Garden Gethsemane and a little bit about the Garden of Eden. You see, it's in the Garden of Eden that the first man brings sin into the world. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus Christ, the God-man, will grapple with, He'll struggle with, atoning for our sins. In Eden, the first man was tempted and turned from God. In Gethsemane, Jesus Christ, the God-man, is tempted and He turns to God. In Eden, if you go back and read in Genesis, 
hardship and pain is brought into our life because of the first man's choice. In Gethsemane, as we look at Jesus' struggle, we see that He makes possible that peace can be brought into our lives. In Eden, the first man sinned by taking of a tree. In Gethsemane, Jesus Christ, the God-man, takes our sin upon a tree. The Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, the first man is a part of beginning of the beginning of human history. I'm telling you, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is struggling with determining eternal history for us. Satan wasn't invited to the Garden of Eden. Satan isn't invited to the Garden of Gethsemane. But Satan always goes where God is at work. He always goes there. Because Satan does not want God's will done in this world. Not because he's trying to play games with you, and he will, and me, but because he hates God. And he can't do anything about God. He's not strong enough. He's not powerful enough. And so what does he do? He attacks those whom God loves. And he says, don't listen to God. It's what you would do if you didn't like me. But you weren't strong enough to hurt me. I was too influential in society for you to hurt my name and my reputation. I had too much money for you to hurt me economically. And if you tried to hurt me physically, I'd black both your eyes and bust your nose up. So you say, I can't hurt Mike Davis. And so you decide to coach the baseball team that my daughter, or softball team my daughter goes out for. Her and 24 other girls try out and only 15 are going to make it. And you tell them after a week or so of practice, come back next tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon and I'll put on the dugout wall the list of the 15 girls that makes it. And the next day you come back, you drive there in your truck or your car and your daughter gets out and she runs in the dugout. She knows she made a team. I mean, even, even you, the coach of the team, knows she ought to make a team. She's better than three-fourths of the girls that tried out. Your daughter's good. She goes through the list. There's no name. She goes through the list again. There's no name. Not her name. She comes back to the truck and she cries. And you can't understand. Your daughter's hurt. It hurts you. But you don't realize I'm parked across the ball field and I got my binoculars and I'm watching you. And I see the tears in your eyes. I see the hurt on your face. And I go, yes! I'm sorry, you say you're across the field and you see the tears in mine. You go, yes, you hurt me by hurting my daughter. And that's all Satan tries to do. He wants to hurt you because God wants the best for you, for your marriage, for your family, for all your relationships. Satan wasn't invited to the Garden of Eden and he wasn't invited to the Garden of Gethsemane, but he went there. And he began speaking to Jesus. Look at verse 40. It says, there, he, there, there Jesus told them, and I would say you underline the next nine words. When you read this, there's two points that come out in this, this section of Scripture. The first is, pray that you will not give in to temptation. Matter of fact, some of you ought to write this on a piece of paper and put it on the mirror of your car. Now don't block the mirror totally or put it on the dashboard. Put it on where you shave or where you bathe or whatever. He says, pray that you will not give in to temptation. You see, one thing Satan's going to do is he's going to tempt every one of us. He's going to tempt us, listen, he's going to tempt us to do what we want and not what God wants. And God has a mission for us, and that is service. That's God's mission. 
Somebody says, what did God want me to do? He wants you to serve. But I want to know, does He want me a doctor? Does He want me to do this job? Does He want me to do this job? What does He want? He wants you to serve. Wherever you are, serve. I am to serve here as pastor. I work another, another job during the week. I am to serve God in that job. Every person that comes ought to feel the love of God when they come around me. Some days I'm not quite so loving. I'm married to my wife, Laura. I am to serve. I am to serve. And you see, temptation comes and says, no, you don't need to serve. You do what you want to do. You choose for self. And Jesus says, guys, you've got to start praying. And Jesus doesn't explain this temptation, but it fits in context with what His temptation is being right now. Do I do what God wants or do I do what I want? And they're going to have to face that same struggle. And you have to face that same struggle. So he says, pray that you will not give in to temptation. Verse 41, he says, he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. You see, Jesus knew that Judas had gone to betray him. If you've been following us, he talked to Judas about that. Jesus knew that he was going to be arrested. He's already told the guys, get ready, difficulty's coming. Jesus knew that he was going to be beaten beyond recognition. I mean, he's God. He's given the Scripture that prophesied that. Jesus knew that He will hang on a cross for six hours and die. Because you know something does not make it easier in your emotional state and in your mental state. Jesus knew these things were coming. It's sort of like when you were a youngster and you had to go home and tell your mom and dad you did something that wasn't good. You know, and it's discomfortable. Jesus knew these things. You see, in the garden, Satan was saying, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to face this hardship? Why do you want to go through this? And he is human. Look what one of his followers wrote. Look on the screen in the book of Hebrews. While Jesus was here on earth, He offered prayers and pleading with a loud cry and tears to the One who could rescue Him from death. That One is God. See, Jesus knows, you know what? I'm going to have to die cruelly on a cross. In Gethsemane, He's praying to God. We'll see some of His prayer. And it says, and God heard His prayers because of His deep reverence for God. He's committed to God, but He still has this temptation. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do what has been planned on what I know is to be done. It says there in verse 8, even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned obedience from the things He suffered. Look, I like a church where nobody has to suffer. I don't like to suffer. Neither do you. I like a church where nobody's life's interrupted. I don't like to be interrupted. Neither do you. I don't like discomfort. I don't think any of us do. And yet I know I learn, I learn my maturity from those experiences that cause hardship in my life, creates discomfort. Our best lessons are learned during the bad times and the difficult times. Matter of fact, some of us adults have been through it and we try to warn our children, but they haven't been through it. You see, we learned a lesson because we went through the bad experience. They haven't gone back through it yet. I've learned some of my best lessons about my relationship with God through bad experiences. Someone betrays me. Oh, gee, God, where are you? I've learned. When someone betrays me, they say yes, and then they say no. I just turn to God and say, God, I'll trust you in this. I've experienced physical troubles. And I've learned when I've experienced physical troubles, what I need to do is turn to God and I need to not look at what I've lost physically. I need then to trust God with the abilities He still gives me. And I'm going to tell you, when I visit people who have permanent physical limitations and I see their faith, and you don't always see that, 
You hear people always complain about, but I see their faith and they serve God with their physical limitations. God speaks to me. He says, Mike, okay, you're losing some of your physical ability. So you look at what you have and you use that. And trust me with that ability that you still have. I am impacted economically by, by our, our world's culture, by our, our economic situation, by our country's economic situation, and sometimes by what people do. And it causes me concern. But I have learned when the economic situation doesn't work the way I like it or I would want it, I have to turn to God and I trust God. Now listen, now God, make the economic situation better. No, I trust God and I say, okay God, this is all I got. So I will use all I got, the money I got, and I will honor you with this money. See, I've learned through my difficult situations to trust God. If I don't, what I tend to do is I keep rehashing the difficult situation and I become a negative person and I become a person who clouds are always over me, no sunshine. And I become a person with no expectation of God's movement in my life. Jesus went through a difficult situation in the Garden of Gethsemane. We can read this real quick and let it go, but we'll miss it. And if you remember, some sermons back, I told you, don't miss the Garden of Gethsemane. See the struggle Jesus is going through. We are comfort-oriented people. We do not like discomfort. But it's in our discomfort that we learn to serve God in the greatest heights. Back to Luke 22. Look at verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing... Now, listen to his struggle. See, this is the temptation. Satan saying, why do you want to do this? You know how bad that's going to hurt? I mean, you created the human body. Do you know the pain you're going to experience? You know, I remember one of my sons was going to do something, and I knew, man, you do that, it's going to hurt. I tried to tell him, and he knew it wouldn't hurt. I said, okay, go ahead and do it. Ah! Right? How many parents, how many of us know that? See, Jesus knows the pain's going to come. He says, Father, if you are willing, please, please, take this cup. Please, God, if you could only be willing, because I'm feeling, I don't want to go through this. They're going to come and arrest me. Judas is coming. The soldiers are coming. The guards from the temple are coming. They're going to take me. They're going to beat me. I don't want to go through that. The humiliation, the pain, the ridicule. I don't want to go through it. They're going to put me on the cross. I don't want to go through this. See, the cup is the experience he's feeling both mentally and emotionally. And we read this so quick and we just think, oh, it's easy for Jesus. It was not easy. Humanly. The temptation is there. He's going to go to the cross and listen on the cross. He's going to feel total separation from God the Father because He's going to take our sins. Do you understand? Never in all of eternity had Jesus ever been separated from God the Father. Never! If you, if, if you come to our connect groups, you've heard us talk about that. Never has Jesus been separated. This is the Creator Himself in the form of the Son. And the Creator of Son has never been separated from the Creator of Father. For all eternity, they've been in relationship. And all they do, the Bible says, is, is God glorified the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Son glorified the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit glorified the Father and the Son. For all eternity. But here He is on earth. And He is going to hurt. He's going to be abandoned. He's going to be separated from God the Father. Have you ever felt separated from God the Father? Have you ever felt that hopelessness? Jesus is going to experience that. That's the cup. And why is He going through the cup? Why is He going to drink this cup? For you? For me? That's why. Because He knows in you and in me is sin. And sin causes us to think things we shouldn't think. Sin causes us to do things we shouldn't do. Sin causes us to get caught up with me. Sin causes us a great deal of trouble. Many of us can see the sin in other people, but we never see it in our own life. And then we wonder why we can't 
It just doesn't feel good in the marriage. Why it doesn't feel good in the family. Why it doesn't feel good when we're at work. Why it doesn't feel good when we're at church. Jesus drinks this cup because He is going to give His life on the cross for our sin. He will experience a separation from the Father for our sin. And someone might be thinking, boy, God the Father is not very nice to God the Son to put Him through this. But I want you to understand, if we had time, the Bible says, before the creation of this earth, so before the creation of you and I, the Father and Son had already agreed that this is what going to do. In other words, if we could have been a part of that great conversation, the Son and the Father says, I'm going to love those humans I'm going to create, but they're going to choose to disobey me in sin, and we got to pay that price because they can't. It's like the song says, I owe a debt I cannot pay, and He paid a debt that He did not owe. And they agreed before creation. They've always been praising each other. Wasn't the father saying, oh, come on, boy, you got to get out of heaven and do this. Why not you, Dad? No, no, no. That's not praise. That's never praise. God the Father wasn't being mean to God the Son. They had agreed before because in their love they knew you and I was going to die in our sins. But before we die in it, we were going to be controlled by our sins. That's His cup. Listen, some of you have had trouble understanding that, but my responsibility is to tell you the truth. Your responsibility is to make a decision based upon the truth that I'm telling you that comes from God's Word. In a culture that says you're always good, and their culture does that, your mom and dad is always telling you you're good, you're good, you're good. And yet we all grow up and we realize I'm not good. I can be very selfish, self-centered. I can be hateful. I can think mean thoughts toward myself and toward others. You see, God knows what sin does to us. And so Jesus has come to drink this cup of going to the cross and dying for our sins. And He's struggling with the pain that is going on. Look again at verse 42. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. That's how we know he's, un he's being tempted. You sure you want to go through this? When they put that, when they pierce your skin, you want to face that? You want to feel that? When they, when they whip you to, to, to below your, your, your flesh into your nerve endings, you want to feel that? You know what pain is. You created the body. And so he says, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Now the next ten words, underline them because those first nine and these ten go together. And when you read this passage, this is what you should learn from observing Jesus. One is, I always got to pay attention because temptation is to do what I want, not what God wants, not to serve. The second is this, look what he says. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. That's where I struggle. That's where I struggle. God's will over my will. You see, what Jesus doesn't do is when He has this struggle, Jesus doesn't run from God. He's having this struggle with He knows if He does this thing that God wants Him to do, that He's going to hurt Him. He's going to suffer. So He doesn't run away from it. But instead, He turns to God. He turns to God and He says, not my will be done. You know, Your will be done. Many of us, when we suffer, we run from God. We do. Let me tell you, now listen to me. Everybody listen to me. If you're asleep, wake up. When, when we suffer, we tend to turn from God and run from Him. How do we run from Him? God wants me to do something. I don't want to do it. So instead of turning to Him and say, okay, I'm just going to do it because you want me to do it, I turn to food. Instead of turning to God and doing just what He wants me to do, I turn to a drug. Instead of turning to God and just what He wants me to do, I turn to 
the wrong relationship, the wrong kind of relationship. I turn to drink. Listen, instead of turning to God and what He wants, here's what I do. I turn to hurt myself physically. See, and I don't understand. I don't understand why food controls me. I don't understand why drink. I don't understand why just losing myself in TV or games hurts me. See, I don't understand. I know I'm wasting time. Why do I do that? I don't understand why I hurt myself. This is crazy. I don't want to do this. But you see, you got two choices. When trouble comes, when suffering comes, suffering can be mental, emotional, and physical. You can either turn to God or you can run away from God. And when you do, listen, you will run to something that will hold you prisoner. And you wish you could stop and you can't. And they'll try to send you to people who try to get into your brain to get you to change your habit and your behavior. And I'm going to tell you, you've got to turn to God, to the person of Jesus Christ. And when the suffering comes, just do what God wants. And for many of us, it's to turn away from, and, and I could name all those things, it's to turn away from them and, and get with somebody who loves Jesus, talk to our parents, talk to our mate, talk to somebody at church, call the pastor up, read the Bible, but reading the Bible alone probably won't do it when you're in the midst of your suffering unless you've got a lot of spiritual maturity in you. But you've got to get with people who talk about doing what God wants. You see, sin wants us to run from God. Satan wants us to run from God. He wants us to turn from God. And so we've got to realize that's what's trying to happen in my life. I'm so mad at Laura, I'm going to run from this marriage. And what I need to do is turn to this marriage. My children grew up with me saying, there's times I've learned I don't love your mama. Now I wish I could tell you the whole story. And some of you said, really? But we... Laura and I said, your mom and I talked about that and we learned when that happens, we need to turn to what God wants us to do and what God wants us to do and we don't feel. And I said, your mama feels the same thing. I'm sure if you ask her times, what we've learned to do is we turn back and we do what God wants us to do and we begin to romance each other. I begin to take more time to spend with her. I look to give up. You know how I used to when I was a kid, I'd spend all my money on her. I'd start giving toward her. And I'd romance her. And you know, whenever I'd romance her, I re-fell in love with her. And I have re-fallen in love with your mother many times. You see, when, when temptation comes to you, it's suffering and it's sin. Satan's going to tell you to run to something else. Get that plastic card out and spin, spin, spin. Get revenge. And God's going to say, no, turn to me. And remember, the temptation when you turn to Him is to serve. Not just take care of self. Jesus doesn't run from God. He turns to God. I'm not trying, listen, I'm not trying to heap guilt on you. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to tell you the truth. Because some of you, it's not been just a few days or a few months, but you're caught in this struggle. And it's been years for you. You can be set free. Look at the next blank on your worship handout. It says, when difficulty came into his life, Jesus' life, instead of turning inward and concentrating on self, oh, this is going to hurt me, God. Oh, I don't know what to do. I think I'm going to go buy something. I think I'm going to go buy a new car. I think I'm going to go, whatever, go get a new donkey. That's what he would have said. I think I'm going to go, whatever. Instead of a turning inward and concentrating. You know, I just got to get away. I am so wiped out. I got to go shoot another deer. I got to go take a joy ride. I got to go shopping. And I'm not saying those things are bad. If you hear that, you're not hearing me right. I'm just telling you, when the struggle comes with sin, Jesus, instead of concentrating on Himself, turning inward and concentrating on Himself, Jesus turned outward and concentrated on God. That's what He did. He prays. He communicates honestly with God. He says, God, hey Father, is there any way this cup of suffering can be taken from me? He's he's honest with God. And so he talks to God. And prayer is all, listen to me, prayer is all, listen to me, prayer is all, listen to me. Prayer is all about discovering God's will for you. We live in a church culture that says no prayer is all about getting what you want. 
the key to prayer. I'm going to tell you, and, and many of you have allowed me to pray with you when you've told me some need in your life, and you listen to my words. The key to prayer is not telling God what you want. Not focusing on your wants. And I know there's people who teach prayer and say, you know, he says, and he's going to take care of those needs. But the key to prayer is not focusing on your wants. The key to prayer is focusing upon God and what He wants. Somebody says, I don't know if I believe you. That's exactly what the one we call Lord did right here. He is in the greatest, listen to me, if we can understand Jesus' struggle, for all eternity, He was in relationship with the Holy Spirit and the Father that just glorified Him and praised Him as He did them. Then He comes to earth and He begins experiencing the human experience. He experiences rejection when He just speaks truth, but now He's going to experience a beating and a ridicule and death. And it's not going to be a peaceful death. He is going through the greatest battle He has ever been through. That's what Gethsemane is all about. The greatest battle He has ever been through. And what does He do? He doesn't focus on what He wants. Oh, He talks about that to God. But He ends up turning to God and focusing upon God and what God wants. And what does God do? He does what He does with you and I when we will focus on God and make the choice that God wants. Look at verse 43. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. If I had time, I'd chase this angel down and I'd show you this is exactly what happens with God's people. So often, when they go through a struggle, and it's what I want, and it's what God wants. And when they choose what God wants, God uses angels to minister, to intercede, to help them. And that's what He does here. God does not abandon Jesus when He's suffering. God doesn't abandon you and I when we suffer. But God keeps on reaching and He keeps on seeking. Now be careful. I know some of you are looking at me and you say, yeah, I know He uses angels because He uses you, Mike Davis. Well, you all are with me. But I don't know, Jason, if that means you really know I'm not an angel. Because <laughs> I'm not an angel. People don't become angels. Little babies don't die and become angels in heaven. That's what the culture tells us. Angels minister to us. Look on the screen, just quickly. Look what, look what Hebrews tells us about angels. Hebrews, the first chapter, talks about, some angel, or talks about angels. It says, therefore, angels are only servants. You see, they are messengers and ministers for God. Angels are only servants. Spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Who's going to inherit salvation, folks? Followers of Jesus. That's what angels do. we got people who are writing so much about angels that know nothing about it, but you see, they're God and they tell you what angels do. God tells us. He created angels. He tells us what angels do. In the New Testament, that's what He tells us angels do. This is my guidance for angels. Somebody else gets into angelology? Boy, listen. This is... I just look for God's involvement in my life. That's all. And he used an angel with Jesus. I don't understand all that. And he's used angels in our lives. And all of us, or most of us, could tell stories. I should have died whenever I'm 17, 18, and that truck ran into me in that convertible. State trooper said I shouldn't have been alive. I could tell you the whole story. That's another time. An angel of God. That's all. And the angel ministers to Jesus. Now look back in Luke 22, verse 44. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit. In other words, the Greek means he's in this great struggle. I told you already, this is the most difficult conflict the Son of God has ever had in His existence. It's a fight within Himself. The greatest fight he's ever had. I don't want to experience this. I don't want to make the choice that's going to put me through this. It creates so much discomfort for me. It's not what I want to do. But he comes to the place when he focuses on God. He says, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. And often when we make that choice, it means we move into the area 
that when we move into it, it's uncomfortable for us. But God ministers to us as we enter that experience. Jesus voluntarily agreed on earth with the Father as He had in heaven before earth was even created. Look what we're told in, in 1 John. Look, look on the screen. 1 John, on the screen. Should be first, or I'm sorry, John 10, not 1 John. John 10. Yeah, there it is. John wrote that Jesus said, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. See, he's giving his life. It's a conflict he has. I don't want to suffer, but God, I'm going to do your will. In other words, he voluntarily says, I move from what I, my, disc, my comfort zone to my discomfort zone. I voluntarily do this. I voluntarily do this. I voluntarily give myself. I watch Christians at Connection. I watch God's people Connection. And I see how they voluntarily give themselves. Oh, I see some. It's all about them. It's their seat. It's their time. It's their action. It's always what they want. But I see so many. It's not their seat. It's not their time. And their action is always for someone else. And it's not all about me, them. It's always about somebody else. I watched the husband and wife team yesterday clean baseboards so your building could look nice. I thought to myself, they're probably wondering, why aren't you along with them? You see, I saw them give themselves. It always is moving from my comfort into discomfort to serve God. And please, don't everybody say, you mean waffles clean baseboards? That's just an illustration. It could be, are you going to beat that car to the exit? Or will you let them go first? Could be, will you hold the door for somebody? Or will you say, hey, they ought to hold the door for me? It's the giving. Jesus voluntarily chose to move from His temptation to where God wanted Him to go. Look on Luke 22, verse 45. At last He stood up again. And he returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Now, I want you to understand something. If we could show you this as a picture. These guys are concerned. Jesus is in great stress. And it's wearing them out. They have been with him through this experience of communion. They have had a meal with him. They have seen him tell Judas to go on. They have heard somebody's going to betray him. They see him now struggling. And it's wearing them out. You know what grief does to you. It either keeps you up or it knocks you out. For Jesus, He stayed up and He prayed for them. It's knocked them out. But they can't understand the total picture of what's going on. And look what it says in 44. It says, And He was in such agony of spirit that His sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And this is a medical condition called hematoma. It is a condition where when you are in mental and emotional struggling, that blood or blood pigments come out into your sweat. And you can see the pink color. And we got, now listen to me, this is the only place in the Scripture where it says He sweat drops of blood. And who wrote this? And what is Luke? It's a doctor. That's why it pay, he pays attention to this detail. Oh my goodness. You mean he was going to? And he wasn't there. And the only people who could tell him would be the disciples who saw it. I want you to know Jesus was tempted to let you die and go to hell. But he didn't understand. I mean, it wasn't that that was what he was struggling with. It was the suffering he was going to have to explain. And you don't understand what you do impacts so many people. All you understand is it's the suffering you're going through and the discomfort you're going through. But Jesus focused on God. And He turned to God. And it's such, it's such an agonizing experience. He's, he's, he's sweating blood. Sweating blood. And He's doing it for us. 
As you saw in that John 10. Show them that screen again. It is the next screen. I'm sorry. I got it out of place. Show them the John. Jesus, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. He knew you were going to die and go to hell. And he forsake his discomfort, his suffering, to step and do God's will. For you and for me. You and for me, he drank this cup. Now go go past that Luke twenty two and go to First John. That's where I want to get. Yeah. Look what John wrote. This is what about sixty years after Jesus went through the garden experience. Look what he wrote, recalling that this is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. John's saying, in, 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 in thinking about all that I saw happen with Christ, I come to understand, this is what real love is. Real love is voluntarily facing your discomforts, your suffering, and yet choosing what God wants. And God has shown that love as He sent His Son Jesus to take away our sins. And you now know how much of a struggle it was for His Son. That's what real love is. You watch Christians who move from their discomfort to do God's will and you see real love in action. You find Christians who choose not to move to God's will but to live in their comfort zones and you don't see real love, you see self-love. These guys are impacted by all this. That's why they write these things later. They saw love in action. Look at the next, look at the screen, 2 Corinthians. Look what Paul wrote. For God made Christ who never sinned, never did sin, to be the offering for our sins. Why? So we could be made right with God through Christ. We talked about that last week. He that was righteous, that's Jesus, became unrighteous, took our sin felt the pain of that separation from God so that we who are unrighteous, you and I, because we have sin, would be made righteous in God's eyes. You see, if you are a follower of Christ, God looks at you. and He doesn't even see sin in you. He sees Christ. He will convict you of your wrong choices. But he doesn't see sin. He sees Christ. That's what these, these people who lived during that time, who, who experienced the story of Jesus, realized. And they wrote it so you and I can understand it. Look at the last blank on your message map. You see, there are only two kinds of people who hear this message today that I'm sharing with you. Two kinds of people. Those who believe it and those who do not believe it. My question is, which are you? You believe it? Or you don't believe it? Look at the next screen. John wrote this. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life. But remain under God's angry judgment. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. That anyone is, is you. That anyone is me. You see, anyone can believe in Jesus Christ. It makes no difference who your parents were, what country you're born in, what your, your educational background, what your social status or economic status is. Anyone can believe in Christ. It doesn't matter who you are and what you've done. Anyone can believe in Christ. But I want you to also see that verse says anyone who doesn't Follow Jesus. will remain under God's angry judgment. In other words, God says, I hate Satan and I hate sin. And their Scripture says, I hate people who do sin. Now listen to me. Those are unrepentant people. And people who will not follow Jesus will experience 
will experience the judgment of God upon them. If you ask me about an individual, I do not know where people go when they die. But I will tell you this, from what the Bible says, I know where people apart from Jesus will go when they die. And somebody here can say, I don't believe that stuff, and I'm not a sinner, and I'm going to tell you right now, I want you to understand what you just did. You said, you are God. God is wrong. You are right. And that is sin. And that is a dangerous place to be. And that's where Jesus was in the garden. He tried to tell His followers. He said, I'm telling you, watch what's going on. you got to pray that you can resist temptation. Because temptation will say when it becomes uncomfortable for you, when you enter the discomfort of that choice, you've got to pray that you don't serve self, but that you follow Me. Jesus who said, not My will. It is not cheap grace, folks, and we have presented it such. My job is to tell the truth. I tell the truth because that first video about close calls, some of you are right there. You may not want to think about death, but you could pull out in this highway and it could be over. You could eat your next piece of food and choke and die. For some of you, it's a close call. You are not a follower of Jesus. My my responsibility is to tell you the truth. And your responsibility is to make a decision. And I hope it is the decision to turn to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. It is like we sang in the song, it is never too late. It is never too late you. God has a place for you. I'm going to tell you. If it's of God, because there's people saying they got a connection with God. If it's of God, then it's going to fill your life full of Jesus. Just like we sang. God has a place for you. If it's of God, then it's going to fill your life full of Jesus. My job, tell you the truth. Your job, make a decision. And I hope you make the decision to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Do we have any questions? Let's look at it real quick. It says on here you can ask a question during the sermon. We'll just do one because it's just after 12. So what's the question? If Jesus had His own desires, how is He God? Because if He was totally God, then His desires should be the same as the Father's. And His desires was the same as the Father. So when you say His own desires, you've got to understand, you're trying to say that He can't experience. He couldn't experience when His earthly father, Joseph, died, sorrow. But then He's not human. And the Bible says He's human. The Bible says He knows every temptation or He knows temptation like we do. He knows the hurt that comes to the human experience. And so, in this time, it's almost like you suffer when you know something bad's going to happen to you. I'm not looking forward to surgery. I'm going to have surgery. So I feel a little suffering. If the surgery's major, I feel a lot of suffering. Jesus feels what the human feels. See, He came and identified with us. So if Jesus had His own desire, He has the human desire. He is God and He is man. Blows us. In theology, it's a paradox. How can you be God and man? The Bible says He was. And so He understands suffering. And yet He is totally God. And on the human point, He makes the choice. Now listen, to follow the Father. And we know God is a Father because Jesus tells us He's Father and Jesus speaks only truth. So in His human feeling of suffering, desire, I don't want to suffer. 
He talks to the God, to the Father about that. And he makes the choice to do the Father's will. And what happens is, he is ministered to. And if you see here last week, eventually he will be exalted. And that's the same for you. When you experience your desires, your areas of discomfort, I don't know what they are. If you turn from God, you're going to run to all things like I described before. And there's many more. But if you turn to God and His will, He will lift you up, the Bible says. And He will honor you. The problem is, I get stuck here. And instead of that's the way toward God, I sometimes go this way. And this way. Until I get around somebody or some situation where I listen to God and I say, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. And I get back where He is. And He lifts me up. And He honors me. Doesn't make me richer. Doesn't make me healthier, necessarily. But He exalts me. He lifts me up. Okay? Let's bow together for prayer and then we're finished. Father, thank You for this time and help us. Help us to just hear this truth. You know, God, we want to put in our rationale and our thoughts. And yet, Your Word tells us Jesus suffered. I don't want Him to suffer. But He suffered. And our Word tells us He struggled. Your Word tells us He struggled. And He struggled mightily that He, he had this, this condition that doesn't normally happen to humans very often. Of blood mixing with His sweat. But God, I thank You. I thank You that in His relationship with You, he chose obedience. And sometimes, God, I think in my suffering, I can't do anything else but choose for self. And yet, from Christ's example, I have learned if I can choose your will over my comfort, it works for my good every, every, every time. God, help us to see this truth in Jesus' example. Help us to see you and to see him and to see ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.